This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bringing a shot up the middle and into center field. 2-9-9-8. First pitch to Miguel. Swinging a shattered bad line drive. Base hit in wow. left. 2-9-9-9. The bat over the right. The 1-1 ground ball. Base hit in the right. Go crazy. 3,000 for Miguel Cabrera. La Leyenda. A tribute to Miguel Cabrera. A five-part series. Here's Daniela Bruce and Dan Dickerson. Welcome, Tigers fans, to La Leyenda. La Leyenda in Spanish means legend, and it's fitting for who we're talking about throughout this five-part series. That is Miguel Cabrera as he takes his final lap around Major League Baseball this season. I'm Daniela Bruce, and joining me, Dan Dickerson, the radio voice of your Detroit Tigers. Dan, the legend, Miguel Cabrera. (laughs) It's a fitting name, don't you think? It's a perfect name for him, and it's so fun to celebrate his career all season long because... When he was at his peak, when he was at his very best, I've never seen anybody take over a game like he could. The way that he was able to match up against pitchers and watching him in the batter's box was something I don't know if I'll ever see again as a Tigers fan. I hope I do, but it was an incredible experience to be able to watch the way that, like you said, he could take over a game, take control of a pitcher. Always heard growing up that it was about you know the, the guys behind the good hitters. Do they have protection in the lineup? And when you watch Miguel Cabrera, you realize he had a ripple effect. His excellence, his greatness, whatever you want to call it, up and down the lineup. It made the guys ahead of him better because they knew Miguel was coming up and they they wanted to make sure, you know, they got better pitches to hit sometimes. But it made, because of who he was and guys watching him, it made the hitters behind him better. There was an absolute ripple effect up and down the lineup that having someone that good in the heart of the order makes everybody better. Dan, Miguel Cabrera started his career as a Florida Marlin. He was Rookie of the Year. He won a World Series there. Do you remember the day that you found out he had been traded to the Tigers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Winter (laughs) meetings. Because it's funny, the winter meetings back then, there was more stuff going on. It doesn't seem like there's quite as much stuff going on now, even though there's a lot of talks. But yes, because you knew Dave Dombrowski. I mean, this guy was not just this trade, but so many trades, the master of making a big deal. You know, Max Scherzer. A few years later, right? The, I mean, he wasn't afraid to make a deal by trading away talent. But yes, I absolutely remember that winter meetings when it's like, I remember where I was literally <laughs> driving down M15 in Clarkston, about to make the left turn, and then we got Miguel Cabr- What? It was unbelievable. You just got chills because. Yeah. I didn't know that that much about him. I knew that he was a heck of a player and that we were getting a guy at, what, 26 years old uh, in his absolute prime. Unbelievable. And you mentioned Dave Dombrowski, obviously an integral part of getting 
Miguel Cabrera to Detroit. Al Avila, also a huge part in that. And Al Avila and Dave Dombrowski were both big parts in getting Miguel Cabrera to Miami, signing that first deal, that first MLB contract. It's amazing what they were able to do and how much faith and how much they believed in Miguel Cabrera. That origin story, and we're going to hear from Al Avila later in this show, but yeah. it's so interesting. I've heard it many times through the years, but even hearing him tell it one more time, mm-hmm fascinating because of the directive he got from his owner, John Henry, and then he passed it on to his scouts in Latin America. Go find me the best player you can find me. They find Miguel Cabrera. He's skeptical because it seemed it happened a little too fast. (laughs) The origin story is amazing and how young he was when they first discovered him. I mean, he was 14 years old. Not at the time they they signed him, obviously, but that's when those scouts had first heard of and saw Miguel Cabrera. And that is the story that we're going to focus on here in episode one. Dan got to talk to Al Avila. I talked to both of the lead scouts that were in Venezuela at the time, Luis Aljawa and Miguel Garcia. And Dan has heard this story many times. This was the first time that I got to hear it from these guys. And I'm telling you, there was nothing better. I was smiling ear to ear <laughs> listening to this. Just my perspective of Miguel Cabrera and in his prime was as a fan. I was a Tigers fan watching him win the Triple Crown. And it was incredible. So I think Tigers fans are really going to enjoy this yes. story because you know there's some that have never heard it. Right. This is this is at the very beginning. Yeah. What was he like? And they, the guys who were there can tell you what their first impressions were, and it's fascinating. It is fascinating, especially back in 1998 when you learn about the scouting reports. It's just not the same that it is now. You don't have all the video. You don't have all the technology that you did back in that time. So the fact that they were there and they had to actually be there in <laughs> right. the countries watching baseball games on small little league fields and to find Miguel Cabrera it's it's an incredible story it really is an incredible story and just just signing him once everybody found out about him how they had to maneuver that was pretty interesting too yeah because you know (laughs) word's gonna spread right they weren't the only ones that knew about Miguel Cabrera but let's fast forward a little bit he gets to Detroit Dan you talked about that day that he was traded to the Tigers and you have got to cover his entire career as a Detroit Tiger what were some of the biggest moments for you the ones that stood out yeah the the probably the the overarching impression, if you will, is those two years, the back-to-back MVP years, the Triple Mm -hmm. Crown year MVP, the next year MVP, numbers arguably even better than the year before when he won a Triple Crown. The the level of incredible production, you just remember he he could hit any pitcher, Mm -hmm. any style of pitcher, any velocity, the very best in the league. And it it was advantage Miggy when he was in that batter's Mm -hmm. box. So that's the impression is just you just realized he could do something special at any moment in any game, and he did again and again and again. 330 with power, 348 with power, come on. Yeah. But that, and the, so just that consistency and excellence, it was overwhelming. So that's kind of the first impression, just how much he dominated the game in those two years. And then kind of two specific moments, and they both happened to be from those two years, but the moment that they knew that he was gonna win the Triple Crown in 2012, I mean, they had, you know, Brian Britton, media relations guy down there calculating, making sure, because the only thing that was in doubt was the batting title. Once it was clear that nobody could catch him in the batting race, then he could come out of the game. And we're in Kansas City, and that, that moment is indelibly etched into my brain. And here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Ramon Santiago has popped out of the dugout with two outs here in the fourth. Miguel Cabrera is coming off. He raises his arms out like, what? I don't want to come out, but listen to these fans. What a great moment. Your triple crown winner in 2012, Miguel Cabrera. 
The big man is special, boy, I tell you. Nobody hits the ball like the big man. What a class move by Jim Leland to have Santiago go out, replace him in the inning. Max Scherzer is going to step off the mound for a moment. Everybody on their feet. Such a good moment, and just uh, it gives me chills thinking about how fun that was to be there. Amazing moment, but the pressure that you, Brian Britton was the gentleman that had yeah. to make sure. The pressure on him to make sure he was doing the math right. He <laughs> oh, had to make sure, right? <laughs> Brian knew. He knew. He had it down. He knew where we were. And then the next, I think the one that I always go to, just because it was future Hall of Famer versus, and now Hall of Famer, versus future Hall of Famer Mariano Rivera against Miguel, ninth inning Yankees stadium you know Rivera's at the peak of his powers heck he was good right to the very last pitch that he threw in the major leagues all he has is a cutter and all he did was break bats with that pitch again and again and again ninth inning Tigers need a big hit fouls the ball off his leg he's hobbling around gets back in the batter's box sixth seventh pitch of the at bat bang he hits that cutter straight away center for a two-run home run the 2-2 swinging a fly ball to center this one's deep Going back is Gardner, out of the warning track, at the fence, looking up, and that ball is gone! A home run! Miguel Capuero barely able to put weight on his left leg. It's a two-run shot to straightaway center with two outs in the ninth. And we're tied at three! The best part was the look on Mariano Rivera's face. I mean, I think they literally caught him saying, wow. I mean... (laughs) He turns around. He's, even he's admiring and just like, yeah. how did this guy? That was peak Miguel Cabrera. You know, Alavila told you a story in the interview that fans will hear later in this segment. But he told you about Miguel Cabrera and how he would almost trick pitchers. Like when they'd Isn't give him something? a fastball, he'd swing late. And then they'd go back to it later in the game because they thought it could beat him, but it couldn't. And that's that was the part that was interesting to me because I'd heard that he had set pitchers up. But I would always assume that you'd be swinging and missing, looking bad on a breaking ball. His point was, no, looking bad on a fastball because if you don't have fastball timing down, that pitcher thinks he's got you. Yeah, exactly. You know how hard that is to do? <laughs> you know you can crush his fastball. Yeah. Now you are purposely a teeny one hundredth, couple one hundredths of a second late on a fastball just to set that guy up, that's amazing. And as we do celebrate this final season that Miguel Cabrera is playing in a Tigers uniform, Dan, what would you, how would you describe the impact that he's had, not only on the organization, but the game of baseball? Boy, it's, uh, I always think of Mike Gillett saying, you know, people come to see stars. He had a very simple philosophy about building winners. And he's the one who said, go get Miguel Cabrera. (laughs) And that, People come to see stars and look at the reception in every ballpark that we're going to right now. The impact, you can see it. There was a thank you on the board in Milwaukee from, especially there are several uh, Venezuelans on the Milwaukee Brewers team and, you know, their message in, in their native, you know, Spanish and then translated. I mean, you can just see just heartfelt. Yeah. And you can, you, you just kind of, when you hear it in their native language and you understand the impact that he's had on his fellow countrymen who played this game and then people around the league, he, he is getting cheered big ovations in every ballpark and he's had such an impact with the person he is the joy with which he plays the game obviously the excellence that's going to get him to the hall of fame but the person is who everybody appreciates that guy that we used to see at first base you know having fun with whoever was over there the conversation that he was having or when he's on base talking to whoever will listen the umpire the second baseman the shortstop (laughs) i mean that's the guy who's had such an impact uh, with his skills but the person that he is and the joy that he plays the game with 
Well, in the next hour, fans, we're going to go back to the very beginning, the origin story of Miguel Cabrera. We'll talk to the scouts that were in Venezuela to find the 14-year-old hitter that turned out to be a triple crown winner, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, and his legacy will live on. When we come back, you're going to hear from a scout who saw the young Miguel Cabrera play. His name is Miguel Garcia. He's still a member of the Tigers organization. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to La Leyenda episode one. I'm Daniela Bruce and La Leyenda is a five episode series celebrating Miguel Cabrera's career and final season in Major League Baseball. In this episode, we are taking it all the way back to the late 90s when Miguel Cabrera was just a kid playing baseball in Maracay, Venezuela. He was 14 years old and his name was just starting to gain traction among scouts. One of the first scouts to see him play was Miguel Garcia. Miguel Garcia is currently the director of Latin American scouting for the Tigers, but back when Miguel Cabrera was being discovered, he was the supervisor of scouting for the Florida Marlins. Miguel Garcia played a huge role in ultimately getting Miguel Cabrera to sign with the Marlins, and he also became a good friend of not just Miguel Cabrera, but the entire Cabrera family. Miguel joins us now to tell his story about the discoveries of Miguel Cabrera, and I'm telling you guys, he has some good ones for you. Miguel, we are so excited to have you here today. Why don't you start just by telling us about the first time you saw a young Miguel Cabrera play? You had to be pretty impressed with what you saw. The first time I saw Miguel was was in the winter of 1997. He was probably 14 and a half years old. He was playing for the uh, like the minor leagues of uh, his winter ball team uh, called Tigres de Aragua in uh, Maracay, Venezuela. That's where he he's from. Actually, he was born and raised in, in Maracay, Venezuela. He was playing a game with older guys, obviously guys that had been in, under contract, and they um, they have played in, in the United States. And the minor league systems for for their um, organizations, and this kid was was there. He was playing shortstop for for that team, and um, he didn't look overmatched at all. The things that he was able to do at that age, something special. When you were going to Venezuela to watch, were you going specifically to watch Miguel Cabrera, or were you there for different reasons? How did you know? to watch for this kid? Well, back then I was, I was living, I was actually living in Venezuela, probably an hour and a half away from Maracay. And um, I was in charge of the whole country. So I was, you know, I would drive up and down um, in, in search for talent. We had an um, area scout in, in Maracay. His name is Herman Robles. He was the one who actually saw him the first time and gave me the heads up. He called me and said, listen, there is a kid here that, um, you know, he's calling people's attention. Ever since then, I made sure that I would swing by Maracay and, and laid eyes on, on Miguel and starting to, I started to um, establish the relationship with his family. That's when I, I decided to call uh, Mr. Louis Aljagua. He was the uh, Latin American supervisor. He went down to Venezuela, saw him a little bit. There was a time, the year that Mr. John Henry bought the, uh, the, the team. He was a new owner of the team. And then he told us, go out and try to find the best talent uh, that you can pos- uh, possibly find. Louis and I looked at each other and we were like, well, I think we, you know, we think we got one. Can you describe the city to us and maybe just the country as a whole, what baseball is like there? What kind of league Miguel was playing in when you found him? Uh, well, yeah, Venezuela is a, is a, is a pretty, is a, I'll say it's a small country, um, around 30 million people population. Um, the city of Maracay is, um, 
is, like I say before, is like an hour away from Caracas, which is the capital. The ballpark, when I first saw Miguel, it was a, it was a okay ballpark because that's a, that's a, that's a field where the Tigres de Aragua play for winter ball, okay? So, but the, the thing is that the second time that I saw him, I saw him right behind his house. They have this little league field that literally um, the uh, first base side wall, it's, it was like the backyard of uh, Miguel's family house. He used to go to school, come back and work out in the afternoon with his dad, his mom and his uncle. And instead of him going around the block and, and, and entering the, uh, the field for the main gate, he would jump the backyard wall and join the, you know, the group that he was working out with. You know, after that, I saw Miguel in many different fields. I would, I would go like every weekend and, um, and watch him play. And then during the week, back then we had the academy uh, in Valencia, which is another city that is like probably 45 minutes away from Maracay. So I would go to the academy and that field in the morning. And then on my way back to Caracas, I will stop in the uh, Cabrera's family house and have a cup of coffee and, and you know, watch Salt Popper with his mother and, you know, continue building that relationship that I, up until this day, I, I strongly believe that was the key of it. That trust between the parents and you had to be, like you said, one of the most important factors in getting him to Florida at that time. Can you just describe a little bit further how you were able to build and keep that trust? I was, I, I, I quit, I stopped playing in 1990, uh, 1995 and I got the job with the Marlins, um, late in 96. So it happened that um, I was pitching for that for that team for Tigres de Aragua. I pitched there for six years before my retirement. So when I when I introduced myself to uh, to uh, Miguel's parents, they knew who I was, and um, they you know they they opened up in a really nice way. I was able to go into the house, get to know Miguel's grandmother, you know his uncles, his aunts. Um, cousins and stuff, and I became part of the family. I would I would go to that um, house and spend three or four hours with them, and not talking about baseball at all. We would talk about so many things, so many different things. I think that we put ourselves in a, in a really good position. You mentioned a couple of times just how special Miguel Cabrera actually was, even at that age. That first time you watched him in Maracay, and then obviously as you kept watching him as time went on, what were the traits that stuck out to you? What made you think he was as special as he was? Not only his tools, but the way that he played the game, what we call intangibles, things that you do without knowing that you're doing it, how to run the bases, how to take an extra base, even knowing that, that he, he always has been a big kid, um, going from first to third base, those instincts that he showed to me that he was special. Uh, the leadership that he has, um, the um, intensity that he would show on the field, and the way that he performed, not only because he went three for four or two for three, it was the way that he approached the game. Can you think of a specific moment throughout Miguel Cabrera's young career once you have him signed, whether this is in the minor leagues or whether it's his rookie season in Florida, where you said, oh my goodness, not only do we have a special talent, we might have a superstar on our hands. Was there a moment for you that that set in? Yes, I have to say that um, 
when we brought him over for instructional league that year, he went into the field for the very first time, and there were another another Latin kids, um, you know, catching ground balls in, in the in, in shortstop and stuff. And one of them came up to him and said, "Listen, you're not going to play shortstop here because um, I am the shortstop." And Miguel's response was like, "You better go get a smaller glove because you're going to have to move to second base." Because I'm the shortstop here. Talking about 16 and, a half, 16 and a half years old with that level of confidence. And then the, the next day, they put him into the game. I was sitting in the stands with, with his father and my wife. If I, don't, if I remember right, it was in Jupiter. He was facing a, a number one pick from, uh, I think it was St. Louis Cardinals, an instructional league. And, and he hit the ball to the right field so hard. And I was like... Man, I, I, think, I think we got the right one. And I think this kid is going to be someone special. Well, Dan, Miguel nailed it. Miguel Cabrera was going to be someone special. He is someone <laughs> special. And Miguel Garcia had a huge part in making him someone special. But it all started with the relationship that you heard him talk about that he built with the entire Cabrera family during that year they were waiting to sign him. Yeah, I mean, they, they targeted him and it was way <laughs> ahead of the signing time. And so now it's like, okay, how do we make sure that we get him? Mm-hmm. But it absolutely came down to that. Yeah. Al Avila, you'll hear him talk about it. But it was so important because other were coming in with maybe more dollars and it's mm-hmm. no it, it was so important for him to have that comfort level i mean he's coming to this country at a very young age yeah and the family had to have the comfort level that hey you're going to take care of him you're going to take care of our baby boy that's <laughs> Although, right not that, that meant, he was more than a little baby boy but i mean he was he was he was, he was yeah. 17 so um so yeah that uh that that family relationship and Kudos to them because it was a lot of hard work and a lot of conversations and mm-hmm. making sure that somebody couldn't swoop in at the last minute with, and make their eyes, you know, put stars in their eyes with more money. Uh, the relationships mattered. Yeah, and just spending time with the family on an outside of business mindset, right? right. Like getting to know them and being their friends and learning to love everybody in the family, huge part of it. And Miguel also talked about, Miguel Garcia, that is, talked about Miguel Cabrera's intangibles. And we hear that word a lot, but you can still see that. And we talked about this in the opening segment, Dan, that Miguel Cabrera has that every day, the intangibles it takes, the 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 mindsets and the God-given talents, right? Oh, he just he knows the games. He, he, even though he doesn't have the speed, he's probably one of their better base runners at his peak, even though he didn't have great speed because he knew how to run the bases. Mm-hmm. That means taking in consideration all those things that you're supposed to take into consideration when you're on first base from the outfielders, their positioning. How do they go when they run to their left? How, how are they getting that ball and throwing back to their right? Who's this guy on the mound and who's the guy at the plate and what is he most likely to go against this pitcher? I mean, all those things were just in his head mm-hmm. and instinctive. And that's what a lot of our young players are trying to learn right now. But he's such a smart player. I'll bet if you queued up an at-bat, a random at-bat, <laughs> from eight or nine years ago, he could walk you through that at-bat in terms of what he was thinking on each pitch because he knew that pitcher and what he was going to throw, how he's going to try to set him up, how he's going to try to pitch him. That's, I mean, it's encyclopedic, that mind. But it's, it's every aspect of the game. And that's what makes him so incredible. And Miguel Garcia saw that. And so did Louis El Hawa. We will talk to him after this break. 
Welcome back, everybody, to La Leyenda Episode 1. I'm Danielle LaBruce, and La Leyenda is a five-episode series that will highlight different eras of Miguel Cabrera's career as we celebrate his final season as a Detroit Tiger. Miguel Garcia did not work alone in discovering the young Miguel Cabrera. Our next guest on today's episode is Mr. Louis Elhawa. Louis is currently the Vice President of International Scouting for the Chicago Cubs, but worked very closely with Miguel Garcia back in the late 90s as the Director of Latin American Operations for the Florida Marlins. Alavila even described him as his right-hand man. It was an interesting time for the Marlins under new ownership, and they were given the permission to look for the best prospect in Latin America. With that came the permission to spend some money once they found that player. Louis is here to tell us the story of how they had to look no further than a teenage Miguel Cabrera. Louis assisted in the next steps and getting the right people to lay eyes on the super talented teen. Louis, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and tell your Miguel Cabrera stories. After hearing about a young Miguel Cabrera from Miguel Garcia, what were your initial thoughts on pursuing the potential phenom? Well, after we had that, you know, initial conversation about trying to find the guy, we we uh, he, he mentioned Miguel Cabrera, and you know, he said there's a kid in Maracay who's starting to get a lot of attention, and he's just turned 15 within the last few months, and we're gonna schedule a workout so you can see him on this trip and. It's probably a good place to start, and you know he's already been seen by one or two teams, but word is spreading, and you know he was still a year away from or a year and a half away from signing. You know that kind of where the process started. Can you describe to us the first time you actually saw Miguel Cabrera play and what that was like for you and what stood out? Yeah, so it was a workout right there in his hometown in Maracay, which was a field. In his neighborhood, come to find out, right behind his house. All that separated the field from his house was like a concrete wall. We get there, and he's he, he hasn't arrived yet. Um, so the mom, Gregoria, comes by and says, Oh, Miguel's just getting home from school. He's running late. He had to take a, an exam. He'll be right here. He'll be here shortly. So we're like, okay, great. So finally, a uh, few minutes later, 15 minutes later, I see a kid scale the wall. It was him. Even the way he scaled the wall kind of caught my eye. It was, he was a big kid for his age. Like I said, he had just turned 15, probably already about 6'2 at the time, but very thin, still, you know, not the Miggy we can picture today. Had the height, but he came right up and introduced himself and looked me right in the eye, apologized for being late, and I said, no problem. Go get ready and we'll, we'll get started. So that first time you saw Miguel Cabrera work out, was that the first time that you wrote that scouting report? It's in the archives at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Was it that moment or was that later? I think it was probably a few days later. You know, once I digested what I saw and, you know, kind of computed everything, made a few phone calls and talked to Al Avila, who I called right away. I did do that right away. So yeah, the report was typed up probably that week, but I hadn't seen any video of him. It was my first glance and it was obviously very impressionable. So much that I called Al urgently and told him, hey, I found the guy. He was uh, a little animated in his response, mainly because it was hard to believe that on my first trip after this mandate, I was, I thought I had found the guy we were supposed to give or try to give all the money to. And I'm like, well, Al just, I think you sh- it'll be worth your while to come back down when I come back in two weeks to see him play in a game and we can 
have those discussions after you see him. How did he react when he actually got to see Miguel play? You know, I, we, we've joked about this a few times over the years. Of course, and, and, I, and if I was in Al's shoes, you know, I probably would have been, are you nuts? So all of a sudden we have money to spend and you lock up the first guy we see. It doesn't work that way. Again, I took it and I, and I, and I heard him and I, and I said, just, I won't mention Miguel Cabrera's name again after you come down if you don't like him. But after he saw him, laid eyes on him, even before he played, he saw, you know, how physical he was for a young kid, his actions taking infield at shortstop, which he played at the time. Um, then, of course, in the game, the way he performed was, I think he hit a home run and a double. And uh, the pitcher he faced that day was actually a kid who signed with the Reds for a significant amount of money later that year. So it was a good matchup. So when you were filling out the report that is currently in the archives at the Hall of Fame, could you even put into words the excitement that you felt about Miguel Cabrera, because I feel like as a scout, you have a job to do, right? You've got to put the numbers down. You've got to put what you see in this report. But you also, when you're really excited about a player, you want to be really excited about them. So how did you balance that and make sure that you weren't overreacting in that scouting report? You have to contain yourself sometimes and remember that it is a 15-year-old and there's a lot of years and developing and all that that goes into it before he actually steps foot on a major league field. But... What I saw was so impressive that, yeah, I, I had to at times like pinch myself like, hey, be careful what you're writing. At the end of the day, you have to, you know, err on the side of caution and all that. But I still to this day have never felt the conviction I have when I saw Miguel, not just that initial look, but the first couple times after that. Again, I had never laid eyes on a kid in that market, not just Venezuela, but internationally in the Dominican or anywhere, a kid that young who could do the things he was doing at that age that I think he was going to hit 500 home runs and win a triple crown and 3000 hits. No, but if you would have told me then like, Hey, you know, there's a crystal ball here and he's going to do these things. I wouldn't have been surprised. I would have been okay. That makes sense. Just going back again. And you touched on this briefly, Louis, you wrote that report on January 16th of 1998, and you just mentioned that Miguel Cabrera was not eligible to be signed just because of his age until the following July. So July of 99. That year and a half period had to be crucial for you and your scouts to build the relationship and the trust with not only Miguel Cabrera, but the entire Cabrera family. How did you guys manage that? How were you involved with making sure that the family trusted you and saw what you were trying to do and ultimately convinced Miguel that Florida was the right spot for him. Yeah, so in, very, in, in a lot of ways, the scouting process was the easy part. But now the challenging part is, okay, we're almost a year away. We have all this time to recruit him. I'll try to keep it brief, but we, we agreed to – we were at their house two days before the signing. It would have been July – or June 30th, I guess it was. Me, myself, Al, and Miguel Garcia – and they're like, they still haven't told us we're, we're signing with you for sure. But they're like, oh, we're all stressed out. All these teams are showing up to the house, you know, just unannounced. And these agents are pressuring us and not, not to sign with a team until you have an agent. So we just, we wish we could just get away tomorrow and just wait till midnight to sign. So we go, okay, well, why don't we go to the beach tomorrow? So we decided out, we picked them up in the morning. We're going to go to the beach, spend the day and then come back at night. And hopefully at midnight, we'll sign them and... It's all done. When we get there in the morning, they come out wearing all Marlin gear. They're decked out in Marlin gear. And as soon as they came out, we go, okay, we got them. They're all wearing Marlin gear. And sure enough, shortly after, they, they told us 
okay, we decided to sign with you guys. When we come back tonight at midnight, we'll we'll sign the contract. So finally, uh, you know, and so it was a big relief, and we were all high-fiving each other, but still, until that pen to paper was on the contract, we weren't celebrating too much, but we were able to a little bit that day. Louis Elhawa, and he says he wasn't celebrating too much, but I'm sure they were celebrating a little bit that uh, Miguel Cabrera was potentially going to be a Florida Marlin there. But my favorite story from that interview, Dan, is Miguel Cabrera scaling the fence of, or I guess it was the wall that backed up to his house, and he shared that wall with the field that they saw the first workout at. So he climbs over the wall instead of using the entrance. Yeah, it's like, where's your guy? Yeah. Oh, hang on. There he is. Climbing, you know, <laughs> just hopping over the wall. No, no problem. Six, seven feet. It doesn't matter. You know, yeah. terrific athlete. Oh, by the way, he just showed you what a good athlete he is. Yeah. Scaling that wall and making it look like nothing. So yeah, that was, uh, I love, I love the beginning of that story. And I love that, you know, that's, that's leading to his first workout. And that's when the Alavila saw him for the first time, that workout, not a game, but a workout. Yeah. It's amazing. And the fact that he was late to that first workout with major league scouts but it was because he had extra schoolwork to do he had to make sure that his schoolwork was finished and that just shows you how important school was to miguel cabrera and his family he's sharp i mean yeah. he, he was a good student he, he was very smart and i mean we've talked about his baseball smarts but this this guy's got got both he's got the book smarts and he's got the the baseball iq And the other story that really stuck out to me was bringing the family to the beach. They wanted to get away from everything. And obviously they were being approached by scouts, by agents, trying to get Miguel Cabrera to sign that contract. They wanted to get away from it all. So Louis Alhawa, Miguel Garcia take the family to the beach and they're all in Marlins gear when they walk out to the car. That had to be a good sign. You can't help but smile, right? That's a very good sign. And I love love how they did that. Just, hey, we're going to get you away from all this. Let's go to the beach. You know, we've got an idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody else is searching for the entire family back in their hometown. That's <laughs> a pretty good little strategy leading up to signing day. And that just goes back to the relationship, right? right. The comfortability. They were comfortable yeah. hanging out with them. Exactly. So you could say, "Let just come with me. We're going to get you away from all of this. Right. And hey, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for some of the conversations that happened when they're not in that kind of environment, right? When they're just on the beach, one-on-one, right. the conversations that went down there. Exactly. And yeah. again, strengthens the friendship and the, and the relationship. And that it does. But they still had one more job to do, Dan, and that was convince Al Avila that this guy was the guy that they needed to sign. And that is no easy task, especially when you think you do it on the first guy right. that you find. And Al Avila is going to tell us all about that when Lalienda returns after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to La Leyenda Episode 1. I'm Danielle LaBruce, and La Leyenda is a five-episode series celebrating the many accomplishments of Miguel Cabrera's Major League career. And today, we are looking back at Miguel Cabrera before he was, well, the Miguel Cabrera that we know and love today. Our last guest in today's episode is a familiar voice to Tigers fans, that of Al Avila. Al Avila not only played a huge role in getting Miguel Cabrera to Detroit in 2008, but he was also the guy Louis Alhawa and Miguel Garcia reported to when they discovered Miguel Cabrera. Avila was named the director of scouting for the Florida Marlins in July of 1998, which means he was only on the job for about a month when he was told about Miguel Cabrera. Dan Dickerson was able to sit down with Al Avila as he shared his incredible stories about Miguel Cabrera. Al starts here with his first impressions of Miguel. So in 1998, you know, Miguel at an early age had played international competition. Uh, outside of the country, obviously, he played in the country. And Venezuela at that time, you know, they had a pretty good 
little league system where kids played. You know, unlike other countries, like in particular the Dominican, that had no little league system. Miguel was a young star at 12, 13, 14 years old. But these guys did a good job in obviously identifying him, reporting him to Miguel. Miguel reported him to, to Louis. When I became the scouting director uh, that, that summer, you know, it was, and John Henry was the owner, it was like, okay, guys, let's go find the best player in, in all Latin America or in the world, right? I get named Jul- in July. And in, in August, in August, a month later, he comes back to me, Louis does. Hey, I found the best player ever. And, you know, I'm like, Louie, it's only been a month. And that's a true story, that conversation, the way it took place. I always wondered, is it, was it really like that? So you're absolutely skeptical that uh, they could have found the best player in Latin America after just being assigned that task a couple of weeks before. <laughs> yeah, one month. I mean, it's like, not even a month. It's like, hey, you got to come over now. Yeah, I got, we just, and the guy wasn't even eligible to sign. You know, you're talking about a year away, right? You know, he's, he just turned 15 years old. So, yeah, so that is a true story. So I, I, I finally got down there, and um, I was able to see him play. I actually practiced first. I didn't get to see him play at the beginning. Uh, on another trip, I got to see him play. And, and, you know, and not unlike a lot of high school players here, you go back to Cameron Maven, you know, uh, guys like that that I scouted, where they had these at-bats, and they, they wouldn't pitch to them, you know what I mean? So it was kind of hard to see in a game. But you can see, obviously, in, in the workouts. Um, so... Yeah, that's how it all got started. So you go see him. It's a workout. What are your first impressions? Well, you can see it right away, the talent, okay? The God-given talent, really. He was a big dude. He had very uh, light feet, light on his feet. Uh, You remember uh, Andres Galarraga used to call him the cat because he was, you know, so graceful at first base. Well, Miguel was like that, you know? And Miguel played shortstop, you know? Obviously, he was such a big man, you knew he was going to move away from shortstop at some point, but he was very graceful in his movements for for a big guy. And if you've ever seen Miguel's legs, they're very thick. They're very big, big, strong legs. They're not typical, you know, middle infield legs where they're thin and long, you know. And he had a cannon for an arm at 15. I mean, an absolute cannon. Uh, and the, the swing that you saw Miguel in, in the best years of his career was the same swing he had at 15, 16 years old. No different. He had that, that, that natural power to go to right field. He had all the tools. The only thing he didn't do was run fast. I remember you telling me through the years, my goodness, when you're, when you're the assistant director of Latin American operations first and then the director, the, the road trips you would take through Central America, I mean, it's a grind to try to find that guy and you're traveling and you're on the back roads or in, in small towns through Central America. Now you're in uh, South America and Venezuela. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of guy you dream about, right? Right, and, uh, and you know, so the skepticism comes because before, to your point, when when I was uh, the assistant in Latin America uh, to Angel Vasquez, um, he sent me on a lot of trips. Uh, to your point, I, I, I actually traveled through by airplane and by car through all Central America, and parts of it I drove by myself. Uh, not to mention, you know, from one side of the country to the other in Venezuela, Colombia, uh, you know, all these countries. And um, I can't tell you, I've ever seen a player, not even close to Miguel Cabrera. You know, I saw some pretty decent players, you know, 
over the years, we signed, you know, sure. Edgar Renteria, we signed Louis Castillo, we signed Alex Gonzalez. I mean, there, you know, you, you, you can name them. We signed a lot of guys over the years. But to say that, you know, you found that kind of talent, um, you know, it, it's like for me, after a month, I say, hey, I've traveled this place a year in, year out, you know, months and months and months. And, I, you know, it's hard to find. And all of a sudden, you guys just found a guy. And sure enough, you know, so, yeah, once in a lifetime type player, you know. So you've discovered this guy. You can't sign him till the next summer. Uh, and by that time, everybody knows about Miguel Cabrera, right? <laughs> so, That's correct. So how, That's correct. And, and then the funny story is, because as you know, he signed at that time was the largest signing bonus for an amateur uh, international player at $1.8 million. And I always hate to talk about money, but the truth of the matter is, Right. When they brought it, when they when they mentioned Miguel to me, my first thought was, okay, how much is this going to cost? The best player that you've seen, right? You know that that was okay, so we'll see. And you know, a year, you know, by the end of the by the by the uh, almost middle of next year, right, in July, it's one point eight million dollars. And the reason we we were able to sign him is number one, the relationship that we built with the family, but there was heavy competition. You know, there was a lot of teams, and and at the end. It was uh, us, the Florida, the Florida Marlins at the time, and and the LA Dodgers were the were the two finalists. I mean, you're you're going up against the big boys there. And the truth of the matter is, uh, they they outbid us. They they actually uh, offered him two million dollars, and and the uh, the man that was on you know in Venezuela, Camilo Pasquale, which was their lead guy in Venezuela at the time. We were at the same hotel, and we actually flew back together on the same flight from Caracas to Miami. And uh, you know, and I've known Camilo for many years. Obviously, he was a good friend of the family. My father, my father, as you know, worked for the Dodgers, so it was a tough flight back for him, obviously, but uh, not for us. Al Avila had every right to be skeptical, Dan, that his scouts were coming to him after they got the okay to sign somebody with a big signing bonus, find that best player in Latin America. And the first guy, (laughs) Al had to be like, are you guys kidding me? The very first one. And the interesting part, because I'd heard that story, the interesting part, he knew about Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. They had known about Miguel Cabrera for a while. So they, they at least spent a few weeks making sure that there wasn't anybody better, but I'm guessing they maybe didn't even do that. They just sat back for a few weeks. So let's just at least give this uh, four weeks before we tell Al that guy that we told you about Miguel Cabrera is easily the best player in Latin America. Mm-hmm. But I love Al talking about how, I mean, he used to drive the back roads in the Central American countries by himself looking for that talent. He'd seen all ranges of talent from young to older to the, the very best to guys who had no chance. He knew what good was. I mean, he, he had scouted endlessly for years in Central America and Latin America and Dominican, Venezuela. So, yes, he had every right to be skeptical. And it just it makes it, it cracks me up every time I hear it. He's like, no way. And then all he had to do is take one look at that swing. And, all, and, and not just the swing, but the way he moved defensively is what he said light light on his feet mm-hmm. i mean that's what scouts look for that that how are your motions he was an infielder very fluid on the infield he said it was he could see what they were talking about yeah miguel Didn't cabrera take long. at a at shortstop which we never got to see here in detroit <laughs> right. but miguel cabrera is a shortstop 
third base. He yeah. was terrific. Big arm, quick feet. So, yeah, yeah he, he was a very good athlete. Yeah. I love good. hearing that story. Though. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. And um, Al also talks about the competition that obviously got more intense as time went on. He mentions the Dodgers specifically being their biggest competition. That had to be an interesting moment for both teams being in there and kind of just waiting on what the Cabrera family was going to decide. Imagine flying after you win that yeah, competition, yeah. flying back with the, the, the competition from the Dodgers. I hope Al bought him a drink. Let's put it that way. I hope Al bought him a drink. But they the blew. Flight. Think of what he was talking about. They, yeah. they were talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And it went to one eight. They blew by mm -hmm. the highest number ever for an international signing. I mean, they absolutely went right by it. And that, again, speaks to the talent. Everybody knew just what the what the talent was and, and what he might be. Yeah, and again, La Lienda will continue, and we'll talk about this specific trade to Detroit, but Al Avila knew it then, and he knew it when he was here in Detroit that it was going to be a key to get Miguel Cabrera here, and what a cool story, and they signed him pretty quickly to that long-term deal yeah, to stay in Detroit. Quickly. So very exciting stuff, and we want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode one of La Leyenda. It's always fun to talk about Miguel Cabrera in any way possible, especially when we go all the way back to the days of him as a teenager in Venezuela. The next episode of La Leyenda will be a look at the 2003 rookie season with the Florida Marlins, winning the World Series, rookie of the year, so many great Great moments while he was in Florida. And then, of course, the road to him getting traded to Detroit. So a lot to look forward to. We want to thank you all for tuning in. And, of course, you can catch all of these episodes on 97 Won the Ticket. This has been Lolly and I'm Daniela Bruce alongside Dan Dickerson. Thank you so much for listening. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.